Well, I, um, I've, I've been thinking a little bit about Hebrews chapter 11. I think I may have spoken on it the last time I was here. So I'd like to just keep uh, plugging away with Hebrews chapter 11. I may stop at some point and move on to something else, but I've been um, preaching at a few meetings in England and uh, over Northern Ireland, and I've been looking at some of these characters in Hebrews chapter um, 11. So I'll read from verse 1 of Hebrews 11, and then I'll read a little section from uh, Genesis chapter 5. Uh, here we go. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts and through his faith though he died he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken he was commended as having pleased God. So then let me read you, uh, read to you rather, uh, the little section in Genesis chapter 5 where he was mentioned. So um, he's only mentioned uh, three times in Scripture, this character called Enoch, once in Genesis 5, once in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and once in Jude verse 14, where he's described as a preacher of judgment, actually, in Jude 14. So let me read to you from the story in Genesis, uh, where he's first mentioned. So this is really a list of, Genesis chapter 5 is really like a, a list of the genealogy of the sons of God. So um, here's what it says. When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. After he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived a total of 962 years, and then he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. Maybe we should read verse 25. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he became the father of Lamech. After he became the father of Lamech, Methuselah, so that's Enoch's son, lived 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters altogether. Methuselah, who is the oldest man in the Bible, lived 
a total of 969 years, and then he died. Well, a very interesting uh, little section of scripture. Let me just pray and ask for the Lord to help us. Um, I need it if you don't, so let's pray together. Lord, come to you and ask that you'll help us as we think a little bit about your word for a few minutes now. And we thank you for the joy of just being able to meet together. At least some of us have been able to do that. And, and uh, it's such a, a, a pleasure and a privilege and a joy to enjoy each other's company as your children, uh, your sons and daughters, and to be able just to open the scriptures together and uh, mull through them and think about uh, all that they have to teach us and to be enriched by them and uh, to be challenged and to be encouraged by them. So help us, we humbly pray and we ask this in our Saviour's name. Amen. This is the first meeting I think I've been in in Scotland inside a church building since March. So that's quite something. I've been in, in services in England and I've uh, been involved in services in Ireland. But this is the first meeting that I've been involved in in Scotland on a Sunday. So it's a real joy to at, at last get back to church and just to, to sing. We, uh, our college opened up a few weeks ago. Obviously, students have returned and so we're teaching but it's a slightly different context. Um, one of the things that we miss so much is singing, so we haven't been able to sing yet. And uh, I never thought I'd miss being able to just worship as much as I have. It's been painful, hasn't it, not to be able to sing. So it's a joy to be able to, um, in, a, in a dull sort of tone, to join uh, Graham and Rachel as they sang with us uh, and for us and led us this morning. Well, anyway, let's focus for a few minutes on uh, on um, this chapter, chapter 11, verse 5, Hebrews 11, verse 5. It's interesting to read an article a while ago talking about this, the, the change, the shift that has taken place in, in human thinking. So at the beginning of the 19th century, most obituaries uh, which made reference to someone who had died would make mention of the character of the deceased person. And it was a rare thing at the beginning of the 19th century for that person's occupation even to be mentioned, which I find uh, very interesting. But by the end of the 1990s and uh, into the early 2000s, um, a person's occupation had been the key means of identifying them. So over the course of a century, Character had been replaced by function, and function was really all that mattered. And I thought a little bit about that even since reading that article and thought, well, you know, even in conversation with people, it's a very short period of time until you get to the question, so what do you do and what do you do? And that becomes the all-important thing, what we do, rather than than who we are and what we are in terms of our character. If I asked you, who are the great people in life? Uh, who are the great people in this world? Some of you might think of very talented people. Uh, some of you might think of great footballers like Lionel Messi, or maybe if you're old like me, you'll think of someone like David Beckham. Uh, others will think of 
very wealthy people like Bill Gates and the millions that he's made in with his Microsoft business or Jeff, is it Bezos, uh, who founded Amazon and the fortune that he has made. Um, I think he might be the richest man in the world at the minute. So, and, and so we think about people who have, who, who, who are rich or who are very, very talented, but great achievements and great possessions don't necessarily equate to great people. And many of the people that we think about as being great people are actually very deeply flawed people and deeply flawed human beings. Public success often hides private failure. But in the mind of the writer to the Hebrews, greatness is not tied up with your occupation or how much you possess. It has to do with who you are and the nature of your relationship with God. That's where greatness lies for the writer to the Hebrews. Enoch is one of the least spectacular people, I think, to appear on this list, which he mentions in Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews 11 is a list of all the great saints or the great heroes of faith. And Enoch might be the most, the least spectacular, the most insignificant person to appear on uh, that list. There's only eight verses in all of Scripture where this character is mentioned, yet he makes an appearance on this list of the heroes of faith. Now, we don't know much about him. We know that his dad was called Jared. Um, I don't know when Jared's birthday was, but his dad was called Jared. Enoch was born when Jared was 162 years of age, which is quite staggering. I'm thinking if I made it to 162, I'd wake up in the morning and think, am I still here? Um, but, but he's only giving birth to a son at that age, Jared, 162 years of age. We know that Jared lived until he was 962, and Enoch lived until he was 365. So uh, Enoch was outlived by his father some 435 years, which is breathtaking and mind-blowing and I think beyond our ability to comprehend. Now as the writer to the Hebrews rummages through the Old Testament looking for characters that he can lift out of the pages of Scripture and hold up as examples for these Hebrews who are stumbling and faltering and some of them going back to the synagogue from whence they came and giving up on the life of faith in Christ as he thinks about the Old Testament uh, and as he thinks about the examples that he wants to lift out of the pages of Scripture to encourage these people, he might have been tempted to overlook uh, Enoch. Because as you read Genesis chapter 5, all you've got is a list of names until you come. So you've got so-and-so lived and then he gave birth to a son and then uh, basically he had other children and then basically he died. And that's the story of Genesis chapter 5. One after another, just this list of names, the years that they lived and then basically when they died. But when the writer of the book of Genesis, if it was Moses or someone else, who knows, but whoever wrote Genesis, um, when he came to the seventh man from Adam, it seems that he just had to stop for a, a, a minute and distinguish him 
from the rest of the people in that genealogy. And he distinguishes him from the rest of the people in the genealogy by saying, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is called the Septuagint, translates it not so much that he walked with God, but that he pleased God. But they mean the same thing. Enoch walked with God, or if you like, Enoch pleased God. And what an amazing testimony uh, to be singled out. So, so Cain and Abel. Um, Abel made a better sacrifice than Cain. And Abel was singled out from his brother. But here's a man being singled out in his whole family tree. His whole family network. He's singled out as being someone who was unique. Because of his relationship with God, that's what set him apart. His relationship with the Lord. There was a sweetness. There was a closeness. There was a harmony. There, there was just something about this man's walk with God that distinguished him from others. Enoch was one of only two men who uh, never passed through the portals of death. He was only one of two men in all of Scripture who earned the testimony they pleased God. And the other person, of course, was Noah. So Enoch, it seems to me, shone like a ruby amongst other precious stones. He stood out from the crowd, a crowd of godly men and women. When the writer of Genesis was recording the story of his family, he didn't just say he lived and he died and he had a son. He said, and here was a man who walked with God. I wonder what they would say about us if they were writing our obituary. I wonder what they will say about us. So I wonder, will they say, well, Robert Murdoch, he was pastor of a couple of churches and principal of the college. Well, who cares? about any of that stuff. Wonder will anyone ever stop and say, and, and he walked with God. There was a sweetness in his relationship with the Lord. There was a closeness. There was a harmony. When you were in his presence, somehow you felt as if you were in the company of someone who knew God intimately. I wonder would they ever say that about any of us? That's the challenge I, I think that Enoch leaves with us and it's interesting that uh, the writer to the Hebrews lifts him out of the pages of scripture and holds him up as an example because we all need examples don't we all of us need examples and all of us are looking for examples so if you're a, a tiny tot running around in Sunday school you're looking at older children to see what you can get away with and what you can't get away with and when you're in your teens your young teens you're looking at the older teenagers to see what way your life should go and how it should be shaped. And when you're in your 20s, you're looking at people who are in their middle years. And when you're in your middle years, you're starting to look at people who are older and you're thinking about how do you grow old gracefully and in a way that glorifies God. And all of us are looking for examples, all of us. And here the writer to the Hebrews holds up this man. And the thing that he wants us to take note of is his faith, his sweet relationship with the Lord. Well, three quick things. Um, sorry for the long introduction. Three quick things. I want you to think about uh, the change in this man, a little bit about the challenges that he faced, and thirdly, a little bit about the culmination of his walk with God. So those are the three things. First of all, the change. And I, I, the first thing that I want to talk about is just in regard to the change in Enoch is 
what I have called his conversion. I don't know what that really looked like, but that's what I've entitled it. Because if you notice, Enoch lived 365 years, but it would appear that he walked with God for 300 years. And it would appear that there was something significant happened in his life when he turned 65. And that was the year that his son was born when he was 65. So it may have been that for 65 years, he lived largely for himself, largely for uh, his wife and him and building his own empire. <clears throat> but something happened when he was 65 that changed him. And I think it was the birth of a son. And the birth of a child into your life, it does change your outlook a bit, doesn't it? All of a sudden you start to think, well, I'm responsible for this child. And uh, I'm responsible for them, not just physically and materially, but also spiritually. It's my responsibility to bring them up in the fear and nurture of the Lord, as it says in, in the book of Proverbs, to ensure that uh, somehow they're directed in, in the right way. And that's a huge responsibility. It's a huge responsibility as a dad in particular to think that one day, uh, and, and, and as a mum, but one day I'll have to give an account of the kind of uh, impact and influence I had on this little one that God entrusted to my care. Someone created in his image, someone that he loves with a passion. He entrusted that little person to me to bring up and to love and to care for and to direct and to point towards the Savior. I think maybe that made a huge impact on him. The other thing which is really of interest is the name that he gave to his son. He called his son Methuselah. Now, a bit of discussion about the meaning of Methuselah, and I'm not going to bore you with all kinds of uh, with the details surrounding that, but uh, it's linked to uh, two words. Um, one, one word could be translated either man or it could be translated death. Um, and it's difficult to know which way to translate it because until recently there were no vowels under the Hebrew consonants and you had to supply the Hebrew consonants, the Hebrew vowels to figure out what the word actually was. Anyway, I'm starting to bore you, I know. So let me just say that his name could mean two things. It could be, it could mean A, he was a man of the spear or a man of the javelin. Or it could mean this, when he is dead, it will be sent. Which is really interesting because if you follow the story of the book of Genesis through and you do the maths, you'll discover that the year that Methuselah died was the year that the flood was sent, which is really interesting. When he is dead, it will be sent. So when, Methuselah, when Enoch was 65, did God give him some kind of revelation that judgment was coming because of the wickedness of uh, humanity? And that God wasn't going to overlook their sin forever. That God was going to punish their sin. Did he have this deep-seated revelation that somehow judgment was coming? And did it change him? Did it transform him? Something changed him. Something transformed him so that for the remaining 300 years of his life, he walked with God. Now, all I want to say uh, about that is that... Um, it's important that somewhere along the journey of life we meet with the Lord or that the Lord meets with us and that he changes us 
and that we enter into some kind of living, real, vibrant relationship with him. That's what happened to Enoch when he was 65 years of age. He came to know the Lord in a real way. And I just want to ask you, and I want to ask the people who are listening online, do we have a relationship with the Lord that's real? Was there somewhere on the journey of life where the Lord met us and transformed us and we embarked in this journey of faith? Well, that's the first thing. The second thing that, that I just want to pick up on in terms of his change is if if he was if he received this revelation, when he is dead, it shall be sent. And that's why he gave his, his son that name. If he received this revelation that God was going to judge the world in a flood, that was a lot to carry around with you. Every time your boy grew sick, you'd be worried, is, is this the time? Is my boy going to die? And is this the time that God's going to judge the world with a flood, through a flood? I mean, it, it, that was a huge burden for Enoch to carry around with him as he worried and wondered where in the world this was all going to end. And uh, I thought a little bit about the fact that um, we too have a great burden to carry because the scriptures uh, tell us uh, uh, that, um, you know, we, we don't know the day or the hour when Jesus is coming back again. We used to hear a lot of preaching about the second coming. You never hear much about it nowadays. I don't know if that's a reflection on us as those of us who, who speak for, about the Bible, but you never hear much. I remember when I was a teenager, I used to be afraid to do certain things in case Jesus would come back and find me doing them. Like when I was a teenager, it used to be, oh, I better not go into the pub because what if Jesus comes back and finds me in the pub? Like that was the kind of stuff that I grew up with. But you never hear that nowadays. But that's still a reality. Jesus could come back today and, and could call the curtains on time and, and uh, we'd be in eternity and the people around us would be facing judgment. What if it were to happen today? Like a thief in the night. At an hour that no one knows, the Son of Man could come. Maybe today Jesus will come back. And we carry that sense of urgency. Yet somehow it seems to be lost on us. No longer seem to have that driving passion that Jesus could come back today. And we better be about the master's business and we better do what we can to share with others all that's going on. So his concern, um, well, we could talk a little bit about the change that took place in his life because it says he walked with God. Amos, uh, the prophet, says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? So my wife and I love to walk. Um, she's a runner. I've just started to run on a machine that I picked up a, a, about 15 years ago and never ran on it once. But during lockdown, I've started to run on it most mornings. But she's been running for years now. And uh, so she's a runner and I'm, I, I'm only just learning to run. But when we go for a walk, I can't keep up with her. It's like she forgets that she's just walking and not running. And so I lag behind and she's away ahead with the dog. And now and again, I have to run to catch up with her. And two people can't walk together unless they be agreed. Agreed about the same direction. Let's go here. And agreed about the same speed because you have to keep pace with one another. That's how it is when you walk. And so if Enoch is walking with God, it means that he's walking in harmony with God, doesn't it? Walking at pace with God, going in the same direction as God, doing the things that God wants him to do, loving the things that God wants him to love. 
it carries all of that. And I, I just thought about the challenge of that. For me as a, as a Christian, you know, am I walking with God? Am I walking with God? Am I enjoying fellowship with God? Am I living in harmony with God? Am I going in the same direction as God? Am I, is this true of me? Am I pleasing God? And I wonder if it's true of you. Well, it was true of Enoch, that's for sure. A little bit about the change that took place in him. Well, what about the challenges that he faced? Well, I want to just pick up on a few challenges, the period that he lived in. So we tend to think, well, fine for Enoch. He didn't live in the 21st century with the internet and, you know, a phone at his fingertips. And uh, he didn't live in the 21st century with all the challenges, COVID restrictions and fine for Enoch. But uh, want a shot at the 21st century and see how you do in the 21st century, Enoch? Well, let me tell you a little bit about Enoch's generation. Enoch 6, verse Genesis not Enoch, Genesis 6, verse 5, the Lord saw, this is just a few generations later, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all of the time. Well, that's Enoch's world. This is just a generation or two further down the track. Things didn't deteriorate overnight. It didn't become... People didn't arrive at a point in history where the thoughts of their hearts were evil all of the time. That didn't happen overnight. This was a steady decline, and Enoch was living in the decline. Yet despite the decline, here's a man who stood out for God, who did not allow the sins and the sinfulness of his peers to contaminate him. Whilst other people were living for themselves, Enoch was living for God, the unseen God, walking in fellowship with God. So, you know, we blame all kinds of things for our lack of spirituality. I do. I don't know about you, but I certainly do. I can blame the television. Everything we watch seems to be tainted by sin. It, and, and you feel like it rubs off on you. Um, we, we, we can blame our church we can say, well, you know, there's so much apathy in the church that I belong to. It's really hard to be different. We can blame all We can find a list of excuses as long as our arm for our own spiritual state. But here is a man who, despite the state of his environment and despite his peers, here is a man who lived for the Lord and, sh and shone for him. So that's the first thing. Despite his peers, he walked with God. Despite um, the period in which he lived. The second thing is despite the problems. So Enoch earned this reputation despite some of the challenges that he, he faced. Um, I think, although Enoch lived a long time ago, I think he lived in the real world. A broken world. I, I think Enoch's life was not a ride in a limousine where he was cushioned with comforts on the inside and totally unaffected by what was happening on the outside. I don't think he lived in a glass elevator, or nor did he sit in an ivory tower. I don't think that he 
was displayed somewhere in a casket for everyone to look at and say, isn't he such a nice man? I think here's a man who lived in the real world, just like the rest of us. He faced all kinds of difficulties and disappointments and tragedies. But the the issue for, for Enoch is that he used his problems as stepping stones, not as stumbling blocks. I was thinking about this on the way over. Um, I probably had one of the toughest summers I've had in Christian work this summer, uh, without any shadow of a doubt. I would say this has been the toughest summer I've had in Christian work. And I was coming over this summer, uh, this morning, I was thinking, yeah, but are you going to make that a stumbling block? Are you going to make it a stepping stone? Are you going to take it as a stepping stone into a deeper relationship with God, into increased maturity? Are you going to use that as a stumbling block to allow you just to stay stuck forever? Is it going to be a stumbling block or a stepping stone? Here's a man, and he faced challenges, huge challenges, I would suggest to you, living in a broken, sinful world. But despite all of that, he still walked with God. Despite the difficulties of financial pressures, relationship difficulties, marital problems, problems in the church, problems at work, problems with family. Despite all of that, he walked with God. Here's the third thing. He walked with God despite his partner, as we think about challenges, despite his partner. So uh, I've already made mention of the fact that uh, you've got to walk together. And uh, if you're going to walk in harmony with one another, Um, sometimes people say, if only my partner, my husband, or my wife was a little bit more interested in the life of faith, then I would be too. If only I wasn't so busy with family life, I, I would be able to be more devoted to the life of faith. But here's the thing I want you just to pick up on in relation to Enoch. We don't know the first thing about Enoch's wife. Um, we know that he had numerous other children, so we know that he had lots of family responsibilities, but we don't really know much about his family, what they were like. We don't know if they were wild children. We don't know if they were model children, you know, the kind of crew that come into church and sit in a nice row and they all sing the hymns together, all so polite and all go home and do everything by the book. We don't know. Maybe they were a complete nightmare as kids. Maybe... We don't know whether his wife was an encouragement to him in the things of faith or not. Or whether his home life was like a spiritual war zone where he was fighting for survival. We don't know the first thing about his family background. All we know is that despite his partner, whoever she was, and whatever the story was at home, despite that, he still walked with God. And I find that hugely challenging. Because I, I could hide behind my wife and say, well, if my wife was more enthusiastic or if my wife was more disciplined or if my wife was more committed, or my wife was more encouraging about church or all this stuff. But it's not about my wife. It's about me. Where am I in my relationship with God? That's what it's about. Well, here's the last thing that I want you to notice. It's the culmination. Um, the culmination. So... If you're walking, you're able to do a number of things. You're able to persevere, aren't you? You're able to keep walking. 
this is not a man who worked for a year or two. He worked for 300 years. Worked with God for 300. This wasn't someone who, you know, made a mad dash at Christianity for like five years and then disappeared off the face of the earth and never, you never saw him again. This man's going 300 years. He's walking with God. Just steadily plodding away with God because that's what it means to walk with God. You can plod away. We might be called on to walk with God for what, 40 years? Some of us 50? Some of us less than that? By the time we're taken to heaven? Not long. This man walked with God for 300 years. Just steady, persevering, walking in harmony and fellowship um, with, with God. And that's one of the great things about walking. You can sustain it. You can keep it up. Every morning I get on that machine, but 10 minutes in I think, I just want to give up. Like, this is so stupid. I could be eating porridge and having a cup of coffee or doing something, like, really useful. Giving up when you run. But but much easier to keep walking. And uh, I wonder if we're still walking with the Lord. And I wonder if we've been tempted to give up. The story is often told of how Churchill, Churchill visited the school where he was educated as a boy when he became prime minister. He went and visited the school and gave a speech to the boys. At the end of the speech, he said, never give up. Never, ever give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And he sat down. And that's the great thing about walking. You can keep pressing on. Not only was he able to persevere, but he was able to make progress. If you're walking, you're making steady progress towards a destination, aren't you? You see the destination. Sometimes my wife and I walk to the top of a hill. It's called Camp Wood Hill. And Google Maps, sometime you'll see where we can walk to. Um, and, we can, and we can see it in the distance and we just steadily make progress towards it. Always advancing, always making progress. And that's the great thing about walking. You're making steady progress. But that's, and, and I think Enoch was making steady progress in his relationship with God. But, but here's the danger in the Christian life. The danger is that you get saved and stuck. And you stagnate. And you're not making progress. And, and your relationship's not growing. You're not growing in your relationship with the Lord. You're not becoming more like Jesus. Your relationship's not becoming deeper and sweeter. You're stuck and stagnant. And you're not making progress. I, I think the fact that he was walking with God means that he was making progress. And then finally, just a little bit um, about where it all ended, the conclusion of his race. It says that he was not for God took him. That's amazing. He's only one of two men in all of scripture who did not die. The other, of course, is Elijah. Enoch was not, and God, for God took him. And I have no idea how God took him. Um, I have a romantic picture in my mind that one day he was out walking, praying, closed his eyes, talking to the Lord, stopped maybe, closed his eyes, talking to the Lord, opened his eyes. He was no longer on earth, but he was in heaven. What an experience it must have been. He was not, for God took him. But the same prospect awaits you and I. Because one day our faith will be realized. And we won't just we won't just be living in a relationship with the unseen God. We'll be living in the presence 
of a God that is seen. I, I remember several years ago uh, being in a meeting and a lady was testifying as she was from one of the uh, former Soviet bloc countries and her husband had been killed um, for his faith in, in that kind of context. I can't remember the details, but uh, part of the persecution of the church. And uh, she was testifying in one of the meetings. And when she finished, without any invitation, she just burst into song. And this is what she sang. When all my trials and labors are over, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore, will through the ages be glory for me. Glory for me, glory for me, will through the ages be glory for me. I've presided at more funerals than I care to remember. And it's always a great thing to know that those who have died and gone to be with the Lord, um, to know that they've gone to a place which is far better than anything they've ever experienced on earth. And that was the experience of Enoch. He walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And uh, if we walk with God and persevere with God and make progress in our relationship with God, one day we'll not just talk to God and God won't just talk to us, but we'll be in the very presence of God and what a joy that will be. So thank you so much for listening to my thoughts on Enoch, um, the second person in this list. Um, so um, we'll leave it there. So uh, we've thought about Enoch. We've thought about Abel. So Abel stood out amongst two people. Enoch stood out in his family. The next character is actually Noah, who stands out in the whole world. He stands out different, not just from his family, not just from his brother, but from everybody as he believes God and trusts what God said to him. So at some point, I might get a chance to come back and look at Noah. I'm inviting myself back. <laughs>